Welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning. We're very glad you're here. I extend a special welcome to those of you visiting with us this morning. If you have questions about this faith or about this church, please do ask the knowledgeable and friendly people at the visitor table, and they'll do their best to help you out. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there is a spark of the divine in every person. And so it is in the spirit of that heritage that I say, let us greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Let us say together the words by which we light our chalice. In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. Good morning, everyone. My name is Michael West. The welcome I'll be reading this morning is from Allison Waller. With thankful hearts, we have come together this morning to celebrate the bounty of this day, to bask in the warmth of this community, indoors, to share with friends the tides of our lives, to entertain perennially our hopes for a better future. We join together this morning, as always, to resist injustice and inequality wherever they may be found. Our hearts are touched by the human need we feel around us, whether far away or within reach of our hands. We come here to be together because this is how we believe our lives are best lived, in questioning and conversation, in compassion and in service, in gratitude and in joy, in companionship and in love. It is good to be together with you this morning. People do ask, when you have so many Unitarian Universalists in one room on a Sunday morning, with practices and roots in Christianity and in Buddhism and Judaism and earth-based traditions, in humanism and Hinduism, What holds you all together? One of the things in this congregation is our singing, and another is our mission, and we say it together every Sunday. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. Now is the time in our service where we breathe together into the silence. where we find that place inside ourselves where we might speak and listen to God as we understand to God, or listen to our inner wisdom, or just be still. Is it a time where we might open our hearts, a time when we might open our hearts to people who are suffering or ill, people who are fearful, family troubles, financial troubles, addictions. We hold them in our heart and compassion. We also send our mind and our hearts touch to the people who are in harm's way 
because of natural disaster or war, especially the people of the Ukraine, of Syria, the Central African Republic. We ask for wisdom and clarity about what's to be done. But mostly as we enter into the silence, we ask for the strength of stillness. Let us continue our meditation with the loving-kindness prayer or the meta-meditation. It's our custom to say this three times. The first time through is for ourselves. May I be free from danger. May I be mentally happy. May I be physically happy. May I have ease of well-being. The second time, we say it for somebody we love. May you be free from danger. May you be mentally happy. May you be physically happy. May you have ease of well-being. The third time, as a spiritual exercise to change ourselves, we say this for someone against whom we have a resentment. May you be free from danger. May you be mentally happy. May you be physically happy. May you have ease of well-being. Did y'all know that John Mayer is dating Katy Perry? I don't know why, because he doesn't have that good a track record of being a good boyfriend, but everybody seems to want to try. The rumor has that they're having troubles. She seems to be doing fine, though. According to her Twitter feed, she um, just helped a friend of hers deliver her baby in, uh, in the, her friend's apartment. So she can add that to her resume now. The Oscars are tonight. Um, I have a Buddhist monk friend who lives in a monastery in Kathmandu, and he loves the Oscars. <laughs> yeah, there's another stereotype that just went like, Psh. Anyway, he can tell you who won Best Picture in 1987. He can tell you who won uh, Best Supporting Actress 1962. He just knows everything about the Oscars, and so I know he's excited tonight, and I think he's probably wondering what Julia Roberts is going to wear. The writer Joan Didion, in her book, The White Album, says this. We tell ourselves stories in order to live. We look for the sermon in the suicide, for the social or moral lesson in the murder of five we interpret what we see, select the most workable of the multiple choices. We live entirely, especially if we're writers, 
by the imposition of a narrative line upon disparate images, by the ideas with which we have learned to freeze the shifting phantasmagoria, which is our actual experience. My whole life, I have heard that people shouldn't gossip. And just recently, I've begun learning that gossip can be good. I was raised in a family, you know, did your dad have something he just said all the time over and over? One of the things my dad said all the time over and over was that quality people discuss ideas. Medium quality people discuss events, and the worst, lowest kind of people talk about other people. So, you know, we talked about ideas. And even today, you ask him how he's doing, He's 86 when most people would enjoy telling a little story about a, you know, a doctor visit or whatever. But no, he says, oh, that's boring. Don't talk about how I am. Let's talk about the Ukraine and the Crimea. One of my spiritual teachers is named Byron Katie, and she has a book called Loving What Is. And what she says is that, our, that we suffer when our thoughts argue with reality. We suffer when our thoughts argue with reality. So you should fall in love with reality in order to suffer less. She says, human beings gossip, that's what we do. You live on earth now, sweetie. Make yourself at home. That's what we do. Research on gossip is beginning to show that humans are fascinated by one another's lives for evolutionary reasons. There's a Harvard University Press book called Gossip, Grooming, and the Evolution of Language. Author Robin Dunbar says that gossip within our group for humans is a social bonding practice, somewhat like picking fleas off is for other primates. So instead of grooming one another, we tell one another little stories about things we've heard about other people and little things that we ourselves have done that we swear them to secrecy about, knowing that they'll probably tell at least one other person. In the context of evolution, people who know what's going on make it, and people who are oblivious don't. So the current theory is that our ancestors lived in small groups and learned about one another face-to-face in a long-term kind of way, and you needed to know who you could trust with your family's safety if... uh, If uh, this guy is on watch, is he going to fall asleep? Is he bad to drink? Is he going to go off uh, chasing a gazelle that he saw because he likes hunting more than being on watch? You need to know the things about the people. Who's going to give you a good deal? Who's going to babysit your children correctly? Who are the people that you can trust? And if you surround yourself with people who add value to the group, then your group has more value. And if you surround yourself with people who are always, you know, making excuses and um, they're kind of not, con- not contributing and they're a little bit freeloading, your group is going to be weaker. So this kind of social intelligence can help you build a better group. And that helps with your chances of making a good life. There are people who read other people better. You know people who can just tell a a lot about what a person is saying between the lines, 
and other people who don't read between the lines so well, who take everything at face value. You have people who have learned or taught themselves to read micro expressions and micro changes in uh, face color and pupil dilation, and you you want to ask those people to partner up with you when you're trying to talk to somebody so that you'll know whether that person is being authentic or genuine, or maybe you are one of the people who has been trained and is wired correctly to read other people really well. You have good mind-reading skills. So there's a book uh, that my children made me read called Everything Bad is Good for You, How Today's Popular Culture is Actually Making Us Smarter. Stefan Johnson is the author, and they handed it to me when I was grousing about their video games, which turn out to be kind of good for you. So in this book, every second page I was going, ah, no, ah, I can't believe it. He says, Stephen Johnson, or Stephen Johnson, I don't know how he says it. He says that watching reality shows, I know, right? It's one way that kids learn about building a social network. Because you watch them, they don't have a plot. You watch them to, to map out in your head the points of affiliation and attitude. So we're implicitly, he says, building these social network maps in our heads so that you have then the infrastructure to know how to read different relationships in your actual 3D life. Um, so you have this map when you're watching uh, one of those shows, and you say, okay, well, um, we know that Nick has a thing for Amy, but Amy's just using Nick. And um, Kwame and Jim have a competitive friendship, but it's still a friendship, but, like, they're competitive too. And... Um, Jory loves Annie, but, but also kind of hates her at the same time, so they're like frenemies. It gives them some language and some practice in building and understanding social networks. He says that gossip can also function as a tool in building the lives of groups. It's a training tool for building the lives of groups. And every group has an unwritten contract. There are rules that you shouldn't break, and you know you've broken them, and everybody who's married or partnered into another family knows what it feels like when you unwittingly trip over one of those rules and break the rule. Because everyone in the room kind of freezes for a second. And sometimes if it's really bad, they kind of look through you for the next couple of visits until they're finally making eye contact again. Um, you've mentioned something that shouldn't be mentioned, or you've brought up something that shouldn't be brought up, according to the unwritten social contract. So gossip is one way of families or groups telling one another what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. Because if somebody broke one of the rules, and you can say in a group, oh my goodness, um, Aunt Louise's children are just running wild. 
They're running wild, and you know why? It's because she married outside her faith. And that tells you where the family is and that the family's mythos is we are strong and sane unless you break the rules, in which case everything just goes to pot. So don't break those rules, and we can say strong and sane, and we can all say Methodist, and it'll be good. In his book, um, I just chose Methodist at random. I've got nothing against Methodists. Some of my best friends are Methodists. One book entitled Hierarchy in the Forest, The Evolution of Egalitarian Behavior by a man named Christopher Bamey. He suggests that small groups in the forest uh, tried to build their team and tried to work together and had a drive toward equality within the group. So if someone did too well, the group would, would try to pull them back into the equality of the group. And many groups have experienced this. If you are a little too talented in your group, you've experienced what we call the crabs in the bucket uh, uh, life where you're, you're almost out of the bucket and the other crabs bring you back in. So the, the egalitarianism of this kind of gossip goes like, well, people who have, you know, I have a fascination with stars or with people who have power, and then I also want to tear them down so that we can feel egalitarian again. Because in a group, I'm comparing my insides, which I know a lot about, to your outsides, which look pretty polished and perfect. And it would do me good in my self-esteem department if I could open up the polish a little bit, get some polish remover, honey, and open up and see inside. So we want to go, oh, yes, um, he did, he is a congressman, but you know he also smokes crack. Oh, yes, I know he won the Nobel Prize, but he's sleeping with his secretary. Oh, yes, she is a child-raising expert. Her children hate her. And that makes us feel better. So gossip has a number of different uh, effects. One, it can strengthen relationships among workers and colleagues, unless the gossip is just destructive. Some gossip is. But if it's just telling stories about what's going on with different people, then it can strengthen relationships. It can reinforce shared values. Uh, Some people, they sacrifice their lives in order to become cautionary tales for the group. This is not something you want to do. And yet every family has them. But you find out what happens in life by watching other people. You can find out what is divorce like by watching people who go through divorce. What is aging like? You watch people who are aging. How do, why do some people age differently from others? What is, it, what is karma all about? Can I watch that happen um, in my group? And even people who are... Um, who are older, who compare knee replacement scars and 
stories of doctor visits and um, dental problems and whatever, we are strengthening our um, physical intelligence so that we can just say to the group, you know, um, I've got this this tingle right back here that just won't go away. It's like somebody's got an electrical kind of thing on my neck, and someone will go, oh, yeah, my Aunt Mimi had that, and it turned out it was nothing. Or it turned out it was a brain tumor or whatever. But it's, a, it's useful because a lot of times people don't have... Their, their immediate thought is not to go to the doctor first. They want to check with their friends to see if anybody's had this before so that they can tell, oh, when you get pregnant, it's terrible. People start coming out of the woodwork to tell you about their pregnancies, but it's never the good stuff. I don't know why. You get pregnant, and soon people just surround you with these horror stories, and they're like, oh, honey, I don't know. <laughs> My labor was three and a half days. Most of it on the George Washington Bridge. I was, <laughs> and what people should say to folks who get pregnant is, "Oh, you're going to have so much fun," because you know a lot of it is fun. But we we never do. We tell horror stories. People have a lot more compassion when you have a bad diagnosis than when you're pregnant. Um, gossip can also help control the poor behavior of other people. And you tell within your workplace or within your family group, you can gossip a little bit and tell what happens to people who do certain things or say certain things. And then the people you're telling it to understand that they're not supposed to do those things or say certain things. And it also kind of, when you know something that other people don't know, when you know it first, it increases your self-esteem because you're part of the gossip circle and uh, it makes you feel... Smug. Smug is not always good. But gossip does have positive effects as well as negative effects. Now, a lot of people say you shouldn't gossip. But people do anyway. So it's nice to look at the positives. A lot of people say things like, every time before I say something, they usually say it in a voice like this, and they don't blink because they're really spiritual. Um, every time before I say something, I like to ask myself, is it true, and is it necessary? And I read a story about this guy who decided he wasn't going to speak unless it was necessary. He didn't talk for 13 years. And I'm thinking, who decides what's necessary? And were you married because somebody's going to need to hear I love you more than once every 13 years. And I think you must have a very understanding dog. I just watched a movie for two and a half hours about people who didn't think talking was necessary. Nebraska. They sat around and looked at each other. This is what the movie was like. So one guy goes, you still driving that Chevy? Uh, wasn't a Chevy, it was a Buick. These are brothers who haven't seen each other in 20 years. I know people like this. You know people like this. 
you have to talk even though it's not necessary. Talking bonds people together. It is social interaction. It makes you smarter. It teaches you things. It opens you up. It helps you be more compassionate. It makes you smarter about your body, about your world, about your mind, about the whole life cycle. People like it when you ask them how they're doing. Is that unnecessary? I don't think so. So gossip well. And remember um, those two people from the Twilight movies, Kristen Stewart and Rob Pattinson, they never did get married because he was too controlling. Will you say with me the words by which we extinguish our chalice? We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a soul like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now. I see. Go in peace. This is a presentation of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, visit our website at www.austinuu.org.